Thank you. <laughs> I wasn't expecting uh, that sort of introduction, uh, but thank you very much. Uh, 2016, and uh, what a year. I mean, we have reached September already. Can you believe it? Uh, today is like, I just felt it's, it's a great day today. I was here at about half past eight this morning upstairs, and there are youth workers getting all the age groups ready upstairs. There is the deaf team getting the deaf service ready, which is upstairs this morning. Down in the hall, all the kids workers getting that room ready. In the noughts to fours, people busying themselves, making sure that our children are going to have a fantastic time this morning, which I'm sure they are right at this moment as we're in the auditorium here. It's a back to kind of the New Year day today, and I'm thrilled that you're here with us. Uh, I mean, I, I do love this community that we have here at Catford. In fact, probably you can summarize the year so far in just my experiences of the last week. Last Sunday, bank holiday weekend, two people gave their lives to Jesus on our Sunday meetings last weekend. And again, remember, it's a bank holiday weekend. We had nine people who went over to the desk and just said, I want to find out more about Kings. It's amazing what God is doing amongst us. In fact, yesterday I was here, I was taking a a wedding service for Moya and Toby. And you think it's it's all part of the fantastic community that we're part of. I walked out the door at the end of the kind of the the wedding, went down the road and bumped into a friend of mine who comes to church here called Amanda with her her four-week-old baby. And it's just fantastic to say hi to them and uh, find out that all's going well. We are a family here at Catford. But nationally and globally, 2016 has been a far more traumatic year so far. Early in the year, dominated by the deaths of famous people. There's been the global terrorist threat, continued suffering in countries like Syria and Iraq, based on unstable political systems. There's been Brexit. There's been remarkable political changes in our own nation. Other crazy things have happened. Leicester City won the Premier League. (laughs) And then the team that I've supported since a boy called Aston Villa, the greatest team obviously in the universe, managed to get themselves relegated from the Premier League this year. But there was huge success for Team GB at uh, the Rio Olympics. Amazing pictures of athletes performing. And we wait to see what the Paralympics team, G, team, GB, team GB team will do over the next few weeks. My favourite summary of the year was on, a Twitter, uh, uh, on Twitter, which said this. In 20 years' time, if you are at a quiz and the question begins, in what year? The answer will definitely be 2016. Whole university history courses can be changed from years of history to just a few days in British politics between the 23rd of June and the 25th of June following the Brexit vote. It's been quite a year. On a personal note, my last two grandparents died this year. One was 96, and my grandmother, who, was, who, who basically lived on Perry Hill, she just lived up the road from this building, she died. She was 101. She died about a month ago. And, um, and it was, uh, I spent, the day before she died, I'd spent an hour with her telling her about life in Catford and Lewisham because she knew it so well. It's been a roller roller coaster of a ride of a year, hasn't it? There's been ups and downs. In fact, one day during the summer, my family went to Brighton to the pier to go on some of the rides. Now, if you've been to the pier, they have this really stupid ride called Booster, 
which is like this massive beam that takes you so high up into the sky and then twists you around upside down. I mean, I was far too wise to go on that sort of ride. <laughs> but some of you might enjoy it if you are of that, that sort of person. But my daughter, who was 12 years old, was desperate to go on it. So he persuaded a friend to come with us who would be happy to sit with her. And they went on this ride together. Uh, I took a, f- a film of it, but the thing moves too fast. And it's, it's like too high to get any decent pictures on your phone. So I can't show you the pictures of it. But I observed this. When people go on roller coaster rides, they do one of two things. You've got the first one, which they grip on tight. See that guy, the concentration on the right-hand side there. <laughs> I'm going to hold on to this bar. Okay. Or the second option is you throw your hands in the air. You see that? They look like they're having a lot of fun and throwing their hands in the air. Now, it made me think, are you a hands-in-the-air type roller coaster rider or are you a grip-the-bar type rider? Have a little think for a moment. Okay, which one are you? (laughs) Now, this is easy. Dead easy. If you're a big throw-your-hands-in-the-air, put both hands in the air now. Show me. Show me that you're a big roller coaster rider. Okay. Both hands, Alex. I said both hands. You can't put one hand up if you're going to demonstrate both hands up. Okay. Now, obviously, if you are a hold-on-to-the-bar-tightly person, you're going to put your hand about like this high, okay? So show me, you can, show me if you're a kind of cautious person. Not too high. Not too high. Just a little bit up. Okay. So most people in the room are more cautious roller coaster riders. When I was watching my daughter on this scary ride, I realized one thing. It doesn't matter whether you put your hands in the air or not. You're just as safe whether you're gripping onto the bar or hands up high. It doesn't change how safe you are at all. And yet, at the same time, we grip on thinking, this is making me safe. This is making me safe all the time. Today, I want to talk to us about living life, the Christian life, with our hands up in the air. And I know that when I've made decisions for God that involve a little bit of risk, it's felt like putting my hands off the bar on a roller coaster ride. In fact, the times when I've made decisions based on faith and lifting my hands in the air have been times when I've known God more closely to me than at times when I've been holding on to the bar. And life's like that, isn't it? Some of our toughest moments that we go through in life, really painful moments, become moments that we hold on to as we are grateful for all God's faithfulness to us. And they become precious moments to us. And the Bible is the same. The Bible talks in real life terms in terms of the ups and downs of life. So the passage we're going to read contrasts highs and lows, or rather the twists and turns of a roller coaster ride. We're going to read Matthew 9, verses 35 to 38. You might want to get it up on your phone, um, or if you've got a Bible, look at it, a, a paperback version of the Bible. You can look at it there. Matthew 9, 35 to 38 goes like this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I'm going to pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to hear your word this morning. Pray that we would be a transformed people. I pray that we would take risks for you. We would live life trusting in your word. Amen. At the point we reach when we read these words, Jesus was at the peak of his ministry. These were amazing days 
in his life, in terms of his ministry and impact on people. We read of the healing of every disease and sickness. That's incredible. There was teaching and preaching. He was showing compassion to those around him. Jesus himself was entirely occupied. It was a full-on task. The crowds were immense. Just imagine what it would have been like to be there. What would you have wanted to do when you saw things happening? You want to go and tell your friends. If you were today's age, you get onto Snapchat, on social media, on Facebook, and tell everyone, have you seen, have you heard what was going on? Exciting days. Where was all this going to end? But at the same time as amazing things taking place, you've also got the cynics. People who are kind of questioning what is going on. It's no different to today. It might be the media today would be questioning what is going on. In verse 34, the one before the ones you read to here, it says his methods are being questioned. It says, is it by the prince of demons that he drives out demons? Jesus has got pressure. There are people questioning him. But at least all the crowd were happy. Um, or perhaps they weren't so happy. Let's read out what it says in verse 36. We find that even with Jesus present, the crowds were described as being harassed and helpless. Now, how can that be? In the midst of some remarkable days, in remarkable healings, and over this summer, we've had a series called Signs, which have looked at some of the remarkable signs of Jesus at work. Water into wine, people being raised from the dead. At that moment, how can the crowd be harassed? How could they be doubting? How could they be fearful at that moment? Well, perhaps it's not too different to how we feel sometimes. We can have those moments in worship or in teaching. We go to a conference or we go to a great Sunday meeting. Yes, all great. God is good. And at the same time, same day, you can get to a period in the day when you are agitated, when you're upset, when you're disappointed, where doubt creeps in. You think, how can those two emotions exist in the same day? So how did Jesus respond to a crowd who felt like that? He could have got frustrated. He could have told them, come on, I've told you this already. In fact, in other circumstances, he spoke very harshly to people about the way they responded. But when he saw the crowds, this is what happened. He had compassion on them. He had compassion. Compassion is when we have concern for the sufferings of others or the misfortune of others. It's consistent through the Bible. In Matthew 14, Jesus landed and saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them and brought healing to their sick. In John 11, when Jesus saw the woman weeping and also the Jews who had come along with her, he was deeply moved and troubled. It says Jesus wept. See, Jesus modeled compassion. He looked upon our sin as he looked upon the crowd, and he didn't walk away from us or from them. He didn't condemn people, and neither should we. He wept over the city. When he walked towards it, he saw a big city. He wept, but he also wept over an individual. He's interested and concerned about society as he is about the individual. And we are called as a community to be a compassionate people. We need to engage in the issues that are going on around us, even if that causes us pain and discomfort. We should be talking to those around us, finding out what is going on, reading the news, discovering what is happening in our world. There is a danger, though, 
which I sometimes personally feel, where you can feel overwhelmed by all that's going on in the world around us. And wisdom is finding a balance in our lives. 24-hour news can just be too much for us, but wisdom is finding balance. There's a story of an Italian couple. And the story goes like this. There are four Italian policemen cooked pasta for this elderly couple because of their loneliness and because they were so sad with the state of the world. The story goes like this, that 84-year-old Joel and 94-year-old Michelle had told the police that no one had visited them in months, and they were desperately saddened by the state of the world. And neighbors had heard them crying so loudly that they called the police to come and help. So in a break from fighting crime, the four policemen came to the door and cooked up some of the country's most famous exports, pasta and parmesan. Yes. And so uh, the police officers described how this couple had become so overwhelmed by tales of abuse and war, they started to cry. They said, there's no crime committed here, no scam or burglary, but this time for the boys who went round, this was a more daunting task. There were two lonely souls who needed reassuring. We provided a basic meal for them with a precious added ingredient. Inside, it was humanity. And we're called to be just like those police officers. Humanity to a confused world. And this is how Jesus acted with those around him. It was the personal touch that mattered. The personal touch that counted. So we can ask God to give us compassion to allow us to hear the voices and issues of those people around us who are facing challenges. In fact, it will stand us apart as Christians when we hear and then engage and act. I've always wanted to be someone whose faith helps me make a change and difference to the world around me, to affect local issues. That's why I started the Jericho Road Project. started in 2001. I moved here from a place called Bedford and got involved working here at King's. Now, there was nothing started when I first arrived here. So for the first term, I'd be in the office in the morning, and then in the afternoon, I'd go out onto the streets of Lewisham and talk to people who were sitting on benches who were obviously in trouble. And I talked to them. And sometimes that simply meant sitting with someone on a bench who was a bit drunk. And basically, they talked a load of nonsense for quite a while. They might then fall off the bench. But once they got back up off the bench and started telling me, it helped me find out where people went when they were in trouble. What were the day centers? What were the hostels? Where did you sleep rough? What were the needs of the local area? And in fact, it made a huge difference to how we started the project. We started an event called The Feast, which happens on a Wednesday night as a response to what we'd learned from going out and talking to people. In fact, those early months have produced lifelong friendships that I, you know, I, I, I chat regularly with. In fact, one person who I met in those early months on the streets of Lewisham now works full-time for King's Church. But this approach to reaching out and listening to what people have got to say also just affects everyday life, not when you're thinking about starting something like a project. My wife and I have a friend who is a journalist. She writes for a number of national newspapers and magazines. She's not a Christian at all. And on her Twitter feed, social media, she regularly writes in pretty colourful language about her, how upset she is about the state of the world and her dismay of what's going on. Recently, she met Rebecca, my wife, in the street and asked her this question. She said, how do you cope with the anxiety of raising children? And a question that you know, many of us may well ask. So my wife decided to meet up to talk. So they went out for a drink and Rebecca started to say, the real answer to why 
she doesn't feel anxious is because. But before my wife could finish her sentence, this other friend said, it's because of Jesus, isn't it? And this led on to a, a, an amazingly easy chat about the difference that Jesus makes in our lives. And they got to the end of the evening. There's, no kind of, there's not a moment where this person declared their love for Jesus at that point, but it opened up this massive discussion and conversation. So my wife then responded by saying, I'm, I'm, she sent him a copy of Andrew Wilson's book, If God, Then What? Which is a great question for an unbeliever, a great book for someone who's an unbeliever to read, who's exploring just questions of faith. And we're praying for her that you know, she'll make a decision to love Jesus in due course. In fact, obviously, as you heard earlier, we're going to have that book as a series starting at the end of September. And I advise you, get hold of a book. Get hold of that book next week. It's a great, great read. Now, I have one concern when I raise the word compassion, because you might misunderstand the word compassion. You might mistake it for weakness. That it's a bit like a sponge, and you get wrung for every last drop, and you basically get left with nothing. But listen to this. This is how Jesus describes it. He describes it very differently. In this passage, he said, The crowds are like sheep without a shepherd. A shepherd is someone who cares. A shepherd is someone who risks their own life. At times, they have to lead very strongly. Jesus used this image because it was a regular sight to the hearers and because it was essential for their community's survival. If sheep were killed by wild animals... There was no insurance company that were going to come up with a great package to help you through the rest of the year with all your needs. Shepherds were heroes because they, if they did their job properly. They were the tough men. In fact, David is a character from the Old Testament. It was a shepherd boy who became king. And uh, he learned his trade as a shepherd boy. He fought lions. He, he basically was a great slingshot. So when it came to the moment when he went out to the giant called Goliath, he was a brilliant slingshot, and God used him to bring down this, this, uh, this, this giant. In fact, he'd been to the shepherd's fitness gym. He was ready for all that God had for him. You see, compassion leads us to spend ourselves on behalf of those who are harassed and helpless. It does require strength and perseverance. It requires courage and guts. And as a church, we have to be in a place where we engage in the real issues of society. So what are some of our local issues? There are many. Here are just some. Knife crime is a place to start. Whilst our young people were at New Day in the summer, New Day is our youth festival. We took about 100 young people away in early August. On the Friday of the week they were there, there was a stabbing in Lewisham. And for quite a number of our young people who were away at New Day, they knew the lad who was stabbed and subsequently died from that incident in Lewisham Town Centre. It impacts our young people immediately, the issue of knife crime. Maybe it's drug-related issues. Every day in the office for our Jericho Road Project team, we are either talking to people who are directly having struggles with their own addiction issues or talking to people who are affected by others who've got addiction issues. Addiction issues make a huge impact on society. Family breakdown. Every single person in this room can tell a story of either directly or indirectly how family breakdown causes distress and pain. Perhaps it's housing as an issue. Probably you know, one of the biggest issues for a city like London is how do you house everybody who wants to live here? And how do you stop people ending up on the street? 
Well, with a number of other agencies in the borough, the project, the Jericho Road project, we've worked to end rough sleeping in Lewisham. In fact, for the last four years, we've, we've reduced the number of rough sleepers on our official list. And last November, we found just nine people out on the, the one night we gave for the count. I'm hoping this year that number will go down again. But I know in a congregation like this, there are so many of us, so many of you who are making a huge difference in all sorts of areas, in your workplace, through supporting other charities. Perhaps you have family members that you are supporting to go out and invest, whether it's in schools as workers or as police or probation or social workers or in the arts, whatever area you're working in to make a difference. But my observation is this, is that it can become quite a lonely place to be. It can become a challenging place. And if you're in that place, I'd encourage you, keep on asking God for compassion. Keep on praying for a soft heart. At the feast on a Wednesday night, we invite about 100 people in every week who come for a, for a fantastic evening. It started in 2002. We meet it now in the hall at the front of the building here on Wednesday nights. We provide a feast, fabulous, nutritious vegetable soup to start with, a main meal, which is great, and then finish with homemade puddings. And then afterwards, we provide great advice on housing, addiction issues. Sometimes it's benefits and health, employment, basically, whatever you, you name it, we've tried to deal with it, handling conflict with neighbors, that sort of thing. And then we also, as a project, provide housing for 30, 31 people in seven different properties where they offer safety and can move on in their life and get progression. But here's one of the best ways we've discovered that people step out of poverty. It's when they start to serve others. So we have people who come back to the feast, who come to get help, and then they come back and say, I'm going to do a job for you. We have one lad who comes in every week, and he just clears all our rubbish bins and put them out at the front of the building. We have another girl who comes a bit later. She grabs a meal, and then she says, I'm going to clear your tables, and I'm going to hoover up for you at the end of the evening. They have discovered this, that serving others makes their own life better. Alcoholics Anonymous know this. One of their steps of recovery is service. It's serving others. Proverbs 19.17 says, Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. Now, hold on. At this point, you could say that the challenge is always greater. You can never meet all the needs there are in the world. And that was probably exactly what Jesus saw before him when he saw the crowd. There were always more who need help. And Jesus answers this question by saying, pray for workers. So what he doesn't say here is, work harder, double your hours, do more. He simply says, pray for more workers. He states the facts, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So my second point is pray for workers. Have you ever been in a situation, maybe it's at King's when you're on a team here, anyone put their hand up and say, I've been there when I've not enough people on my team to help out. Anyone know that feeling? How many? Not many of you. I'm surprised. I thought more of you would be uh, in situations in work or in, your, in church life where you've got people, you think, I need more helpers. It's got me thinking though, about the question of helpers because... It means that if we're helping and serving, then it means that we're one of the answers to the original people who heard this word. They pray for more workers, and we are, 2,000 years later, part of that solution. Our job is to keep on asking others and praying for others to join the harvest. I was delighted that recently on our Love Serving Sunday, where we invited people to step in to serving, 52 people made a step, and I know many of them have already begun serving on Sundays. It's fantastic. Thank you. 
Now, the question of people joining us, just a quick comment on this before I move on. When new people arrive, they need to feel welcome. They need to discover, for, many, for some, need to discover a relationship with Jesus. For some, it's a, actually, there's pain and hurt that's kind of gone on in the past that, actually, I need some healing from as I come and join this community. But I want to encourage us together that we would be a people who reach out to those who are joining us as they become answers to our prayers. I want you to be quick to embrace people. When was the last time you spoke to a new person on the Sunday? You might have heard us encourage you during the break to do it. It's one of the key reasons we have that break in the middle of the meeting is to say hi to each other. Have you ever invited someone back for a meal or invited them to a group you attend? Your welcome can have a huge impact. I mean, that's, that might be a hands-up moment. You might have to take your hands off the bar and say, actually, I'm going to take a step across the room and talk to someone. I haven't done it before, but I'm going to do it today. When new people come in, this is some of the thoughts they're having. Perhaps you can remember the first time you walked into this building. Am I wearing the right clothing that makes me feel okay in this building? <laughs> or are they really only after my money? Will I have to do anything strange during the course of the morning? Or will a preacher shout at me and tell me I've done something wrong? There's all sorts of different questions that people have when they come in. And actually, as you welcome people, it's great to better say, you're so welcome here. You're accepted for who you are. People might look very different to you. Different backgrounds, different stage of life. I'm thrilled that we're building a multicultural, multi-generational community crossing educational and financial barriers. And I want us to continue to celebrate all our diversity. So a comment to you if you're new to us. You're so welcome. And uh, if you're just looking in and visiting a number of churches, then there are fantastic churches around. But at some point, I'd encourage you, commit to a local church. Don't keep visiting lots and lots of different churches, but actually invest in your local church. I'd be delighted if you make this community your home. So in the area of serving, perhaps you need to lift your hands off the bar and get involved and step in. And probably the key area would be is if you're serving King's Kids with 50 young people in there in the age group five to nines, you're probably always going to be keep praying that prayer. Pray for more workers to join us and help us. So my first point was compassion. Second one was pray for workers. And my last point, it is his mission field. I've loved exploring this passage over the last couple of months. So much applicable wisdom to our lives. And yet there's a great mystery in here. And the great mystery is, is how big is the harvest that Jesus is talking about? We live in a city of 8 million people. And as this year has proved time and time again, there are many, many questions that people want answers to. We're not sure of people to reach. We need many, many more churches and communities and sites that will communicate the, lost, the love of Jesus to a lost people. Kings has three sites, but we need many, many more to impact even just our area of London. So my question to you today, when it comes to witnessing and telling others about Jesus, are you a kind of grip-the-bar type person? I'll keep my head down. Are you a kind of, I just about get my hand off the bar? Or are you a hands-in-the-air person? Because you're not safer by having your hands on the bar any more safer than you are if you have your hands in the air. In fact, the opportunities are amazing when you lift your hands up and give God a chance to perform his miracles amongst us. The mission we're on is being described like this. It says, one beggar telling another beggar where he can buy bread. Now, one question I get asked quite regularly is, why don't we go out and do evangelism on the streets on a Saturday morning, for example? It's a good question. There is absolutely nothing wrong in doing Saturday morning mission, outreach like that. But the way that Kings and the way 
that we've done it as a church for the last 20 years as we tried to create an environment where on Sundays, unbelievers are welcome to be with us, where they're allowed to go on a journey and they can, in, can, can engage in the process. That means that we try and avoid jargon. We try and preach in a way that is inclusive so that if someone is coming to church for the first time, they can, they can understand what is going on through the morning. We create key moments of invitation. Examples would be the Alpha Course, the baptisms that are coming up on the 18th of September, or probably the biggest invitation op- opportunity of the year is our carol services. It comes up at the end, of de- it comes up in December, as usual. But think for this for a moment. Think about it like this. Tomorrow morning, about 1,500 people who have been to church today at King's will get onto buses, trains, bicycles, trams, to go to offices, schools, businesses, homes across this great city. And then the same thing happens on Tuesday and Wednesday and across every day. And every single believer carries the Spirit of God to equip them to be his witness. And across the city, you multiply that with other communities. There are probably tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of believers who are going out every day into this city. What an amazing average team that is. So perhaps more of us need to be prepared to have compassion, to get out there and to share Jesus with others. So one answer to the question about the street evangelism teams is that we actually have a team of 1,500 going out every day into this world. Now, in today's world, it actually is very difficult to convince someone to argue them into the kingdom, isn't it? Have you ever tried to do that, argue someone? It's just, just my absolute truth is... You know, is it better than your absolute truth? But what is clear is that a personal story carries influence. Your story carries influence. It's hard to argue against what God has done in your life. Baptisms are powerful for that moment. But I thought today it would be great to hear just a few short stories of lives being changed to encourage us to be courageous in going out and sharing our faith. So I've asked Levi, Hetty and Addis to quickly come up and tell us their moment when God changed their life. Hi, everybody. Um, the, the, the experience that I had was that I had a friend, my best friend, actually. Um, she came back from university as a Christian, and she knew that I was quite tight with money. I don't like to give away my money at all. Um, and our birthday is only four days apart, so she invited me to church as opposed to not buying her a gift. Um, and I use that same tactic now, actually. Um, <laughs> And when I went to that church, um, I was absolutely blown away by the genuine um, air in the room. So when someone said, hey, how are you? They actually meant it. And um, throughout the week, they would call me, and I would always hate these calls. But they were quite genuine, like, hey, how are you doing? Are you okay? And stuff. And um, there's a scripture in the Bible where where it says, uh, let us not love in word only but indeed, yeah. and the deeds that they had, how I noticed how they were with each other was like phenomenal. And um, before I even got to know about Jesus, just wanting to be around them was something that I wanted. Right. And it was through that that I came to church, and then from there I had the experience that I had. But yeah, that was it. Yeah, thank Brilliant. You. Thank, you. thank you so much. <laughs> I feel quite Hi. Yeah. Hi, my name is Hattie, and 
I, I was always a shy child. I grew up as a child, shy person. And when I was 18, um, my brother was interested in this girl, so I asked her out, and she said, she was a Christian, and she said, oh, on condition that you come to church with me. So she turned up on Sunday to take my brother to church, and he had gone off to play football. So my sister, who was a Christian, said, oh, you know that dress of mine you always wanted? If you go to church with her, I'll give you that dress. And I wanted the dress. So I said, if you give it to me, I'll wear it to church. So, <laughs> so she gave it to me. I went to church, and I had the preacher. It was great. And since that time, I kind of came out of my shell. And, yeah, and this is it. This is me. Brilliant. <laughs> Um, for me, this was, I think, about 25 years ago. Um, I was trying to go back to work, and I was looking for a childminder. And then I did visit quite a few, and in the end, I decided to look after my son. But at that point, a health visitor um, invited me to um, meet this lady. And the first thing she said is, she's a Christian. Well, I thought I was a Christian myself then because I came from um, a background of Orthodox. So I, I thought I was a Christian. And anyway, I met this lady, and she never mentioned anything about Jesus. She never witnessed or she never gave me any testimony. But all I saw is, as Levi said, that there's something about that woman who absolutely drew drawn me very closer and we became like a, a mother and a, a daughter and she started inviting me to this church this church was it wasn't like this and um, yeah I came I think that was my first journey and uh, now I became a you know a Christian and this is my home fantastic <laughs> personal contact personal invitation makes all the difference. Perhaps this week, you can lift your hands off the bar. And maybe for the first time, you're going to lift your hand up, just one hand up, and say to your work colleagues, I'm a Christian. I go to church on Sunday. This is what it's like. Or maybe it's two hands, and you're going to say, I'm going to invite someone to come on the Alpha course. And no, at times, it's a frightening prospect. I'm aware of that. You don't consider that sort of character. But my advice to you is use your gifting. Use your story to communicate to others around you. So, in conclusion, the challenge is to live life where you take risks for God. That can apply to all areas of life, money, relationships, healing. But it significantly applies to our willingness to be a witness. Perhaps as you take your step this week, you will know God blessing you and changing lives around you. I hope you're ready for the ride. I know I am. I'm looking forward to this term ahead. Amen.